Well, good evening, and uh, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Job chapter 26. Reading, reading from verse 1. Then Job replied, How you have helped the powerless! How you have saved the arm that is feeble! What advice you have offered to one without wisdom! And what great insight you have displayed! Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit spoke from your mouth? The dead are in deep anguish, those beneath the waters and all that live in them. Death is naked before God, destruction lies uncovered. He spreads out the northern skies over the empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake against, aghast at his rebuke. By his power he churned up the sea. By his wisdom he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. And those who... and the, and these are but the outer fringes of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him who can make understanding the thunder of his power. Well, let's just pray before we look at those verses together. Our Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have to look at these verses together. And again, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us through them. As we come to you, in the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. So what we have here in this chapter is um, Job's reply to Bildad. Now Bildad, who is convinced that sin is the cause of Job's suffering, in his brief summary, he's spoken about how great God is. But this brings no comfort to Job because Bildad arrives at this conclusion, a conclusion we read in verse 6 of chapter 25. He says, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. See, Bildad is telling Job that he is without hope. But Job is going to answer him, and he will also speak about God. But he will arrive at a different conclusion. His conclusion is that it is because of the greatness of God that he does have hope. You see, Job is trusting in the relationship that he has with God, a relationship that Job believes will carry him through right to the end. On this side of the cross, or on his side of the cross, Job knows that he is a forgiven sinner. This is before Jesus died. But here, Although Job might not understand the how or the why, Job believes that he is a child of God and he believes that God loves him. Now, we might not be in Job's shoes or his circumstances, and his circumstances, in fact, will be probably totally different to any that we might be called to suffer. But on our side of the cross... 
we know how we can have that relationship with God and we know that it will carry us through to the end no matter what our circumstances are. No matter what our circumstances might be at the moment or no matter what they might be in the future. You know, this this is why Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8 verse 17, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now we can see how Job is looking beyond his own suffering. Physically, he is still very weak, but his faith is keeping him strong and his faith is growing. What Job is looking for is the mediator, the one who will present him as being righteous in God's sight. This is what Job has, but he doesn't know who that mediator is. He doesn't understand how it will happen, but his faith is in that it will happen. Now, we know that the mediator is Jesus. And we know that in Job's day, his faith was in a sacrifice that would be made on his behalf. That is the sacrifice that we, in our day, look back on. To the one who made that sacrifice, a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. See, the plan of salvation was put into place by God way back in Genesis. You probably know the verse quite well. It's verse 15 of chapter 3. This is after the fall of man. And God said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, Job is giving us an insight into the importance of God's plan. The details of God's plan will later be given to Abraham. And we read that in Genesis 12, verse 2, when God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And also, the scriptures and the prophets reveal to us the one who is the central person in God's plan. Listen to what Jesus said after his resurrection to the two on the road to Emmaus. Now we find this in Luke chapter 24 and it's verse 25 through to 27. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So the benefits of God's plan are being seen in the life of Job. And also it's seen in the lives of everyone whose faith and hope is in God's plan. Which brings us back to what Paul said in Romans 8 verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And when you come to the letters 
that Paul wrote to the churches, they contain a lot of information about how, as believers, we should live. And the way that the people he's writing to should live, live in the light of the relationship that we and they have with the Lord. And in the book of Job, one of the things we see is how, as believers, Job's friends follow their own conclusions, believing that they are right. And they back each other up as they join forces against Job. Now, Job, on the other hand, in his confused state of mind, admits to his lack of understanding as he constantly turns to God for answers, trusting that God is the only one who is right. I was thinking about one of the Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter 3, and it's verse 5 and 6. And again, you probably know these, these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. The phrase I want to bring out of those verses is this. In all your ways, submit to him. What does this mean? Well, it is trusting as in Jesus as our Saviour. But it's not just trusting in the Lord for our deliverance from sin. It's also trusting in his provision to deliver us faultless before his throne of grace. And this is what Job is doing as he continues to submit to the Lord as he lives through his suffering and as he looks towards that day that day when he will see his Lord Job is struggling but he's walking with the Lord you know I was thinking uh, of the words of a hymn that we sometimes sing the words are I am weak but thou art strong Jesus keep me from all wrong I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. And Job is walking close to the Lord. Back to a verse from Romans. Romans 8 verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger of or danger, or sword. You know, the, the question that this draws is, how close do we walk with the Lord? How close do we walk when things are going well? How close do we walk with the Lord when we are called to suffer? How close do we walk with the Lord when we are called to be a comforter? Let's just think about these things as we come to the passage for this evening. It's chapter 26. Now, what Job has to say here runs through chapter 26 and through chapter 27. But just 26 this evening, Job's reply to Bildad will also include Eliphaz and Zophar as he directs his words to all three of them. And in these first words that Job uses to address Bildad and reply to what Bildad has said, 
In these words, we have a hint of sarcasm. But the sarcasm is a challenge. And it leads Job into revealing some very important truths that relate not only to them, but also to us today. Let's just remind ourselves, first of all, that they all agree that God is sovereign. They all know about the power of God. They can all see Job's circumstances, but none of them, including Job, knows the reason why Job is suffering. Now, we know by now that Job's friends have missed the point. You know, when they looked at Job, what popped up in their sights was a guilty sinner who needs to repent. What they should have seen was a suffering saint who needs comfort and encouragement from his friends. So let's have a look at these first few verses of chapter 26, verse 1 to 4. As Job brings about a rebuke to his friends, and this is a rebuke that has a sting in the tail. Then Job replied, How you have helped the powerless, how you have saved the arm that is feeble. What advice you have offered to one without wisdom, and what great insight you have displayed. Who's helped you utter these words, and whose spirit spoke from your mouth? Now these are the words of sarcasm that I referred to, and it's almost Job Job is saying, you know, it's so wonderful how you've made this weak and feeble man feel so strong. And all those wise words that you have enlightened me with. Me, Job, a person who knows nothing. You know, I just love the way that you completely understand how I feel. You know, in our day, we might have said something like, you know what, lads, you've been about as much use to me as a back pocket in a pair of pyjamas. Now, I don't mean to be flippant by saying that. I just want to bring out the importance of the, the sarcasm that Job is using. And he goes on to say, and by the way, Bildad, who told you what to say? And maybe he's thinking, was it Eliphaz? Or was it someone else? This verse 4 is the sting in the tail. Who has helped you utter these words? And whose spirit was it that spoke from your mouth? Come on, tell me. I want to know. I want to know where you got these ideas from. So before we think about that, there's a few things to consider. First of all, Eliphaz seems to be the oldest and the wisest and probably the most revered of the three friends. These are all recognized as being wise men. Secondly, God has given Satan permission to persecute Job to the point of death, but no further. We need to keep that thought at the back of our minds. And thirdly, Job is suffering in every aspect of his life. Personal loss, material loss, his health as well as his wealth. He's got mental anguish and spiritual uncertainty and wrong accusations from his so-called friends. So with this in mind, let's go back to something that Eliphaz has said. This is back in chapter 4 of Job. 
as he spoke about a disquieting, disquieting dream that he had in the night. So Job 4, verse 15 through to 17, and Eliphaz said this, A spirit glided past my face, and the hair on my body stood on end. It stopped, but I could not tell what it was. A form stood before my eyes. I heard a hushed voice. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? This is one. Eliphaz is telling us about a dream that he had way back in chapter 4. And I want to just bring out that line, can a mortal be more righteous than God? This is the theme that runs through the book of Job. Come with me into the New Testament as we hear what is probably the most serious rebuke Jesus ever leveled at one of his disciples. We find it in Matthew's Gospel. It's Matthew 16, and it runs from verse 21 to 23. This is what we read. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Peter, with the other disciples, is listening to this. And he was led to lean on his own understanding of what was being said as he listened to the words of Jesus. And he told Jesus what he thought. Because we read on in that passage, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. In other words, what Peter is saying to Jesus is, no, Lord, you won't have to suffer. But Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This seems to be the mindset of Job's friends. They don't seem to have the mind of God. Job is saying in that sarcastic remark to Bildad that I don't know where you're getting these things from. I don't think they're coming from God. Let's just look at a verse from Ephesians 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Job 26. Verse 5 through to 14. Job looks beyond himself as he sees the greatness and the wisdom of God. And instead of cursing God, he's actually praising God. Verse 5 and 6. He speaks about God's power. His power over life and death. He says, the dead are in deep anguish. Those beneath the waters and all that live in them. The realm of the dead is naked before God. Destruction lies uncovered. In other words, God can see all this. God is in control. The sovereignty of God extends beyond this life. And when you come to verse 7 through to 11, Job moves on and he starts to speak about the power that God has over the elements. He sees God's creation. 
This is what he says. He spreads out the northern skies over empty spaces. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it. He marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake aghast at his rebuke. You see, God's authority maintains order. All these things that we know about creation are orderly. And it's by God's authority that that order is maintained. And here in these few verses, we have truths about God's greatness that confirm that the earth is round, that it is suspended in space, that clouds, even though they are full of water, these heavy clouds, then they don't just automatically make it rain. These are scientific facts revealed to us at the time when some people thought that the earth was supported by the shoulders of the god Atlas and that the earth was flat. These are truths that we read way back in the book of Job that were unknown to science of its day, but that science of today has proved that these words of Job are correct. And then we come to verse 12 through to 14, and we see that God is all-powerful. By his power, he churned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath, the skies become fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpents. And these are but the outer fringes of his work. How faint the whisper we hear of him, who then can understand the thunder of his power. You know, Job saying, we only know a little tiny bit about Job. What we know is is very small. There's a lot more to it. it. It's just like a faint whisper. And if that's the case, and there's so much more to his authority and his power, how can we understand it? Job knows that the wisdom, the knowledge of God's absolute authority has power over these things that we so much power that we can't even imagine. In the ancient times, reference to the sea was an allusion to trouble and danger, and Rahab uh, spoke of, of evil that could come out of the troubled and dangerous times. And this illustration speaks of God's power over the troubles and the evils of this world. And that verse 14, and these are but the outer fringes of his works, how faint the whisper we hear of him, who then can understand and thunder the thunder of his power. Job is saying that God, who is, who has absolute authority, can take the things that he has made, these orderly things, and in his power, he can shake them up. And he can shake them up for his own purpose. Things are certainly being shaken up in the life of Job. But these will be for his own purpose, and we might not understand them. And these things are happening in the life of Job. So Job's conclusion is that God is great, but his greatness doesn't diminish mankind as 
Bildad said in Job 26, uh, 25 verse 6, How much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. God's greatness emphasizes God's love for his children. And we don't understand everything about God. But God has all authority. I want us to finish this morning, uh, uh, this evening, uh, as we think about these things. Uh, and I want to just share with you a few verses um, from Luke's Gospel. And this is Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through to 7. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. But then he goes on and says this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, just to finish with our final thought for this evening. When it was God's will that Jesus should suffer, it turned the world upside down. Or was it that it actually turned the world the right side up? This was done by the will and authority of God. And it is for our benefit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we read these words. We, we learn something more about who you are, about your power and your greatness. We also learn how little we truly know and truly understand. But our Father, we pray that you will just give us the will to trust in you, to lean upon you in whatever circumstances we find ourselves and to do it in the knowledge that you have all authority. And our Father, we just thank you for that authority that you have through the death of Jesus, through the sacrifice and the suffering that he went through, we can be brought into your presence as righteous people. And in the name of Jesus, we ask your blessing upon us now. Amen.